0: We are so excited to kick off Christmas. We have been studying and preparing all week. Did you guys have an amazing Thanksgiving? Do you eat a lot? Amen, amen, good. And we have been just praying about what the Lord wants us to share with you during this beautiful holiday season that comes around every year. And the Lord just, we just have watched God do so many amazing things this year. And when we were praying about this message series, we're like, wow, this, this series just kind of culminates everything that God's been doing and just reaffirms and re-shouts from the mountaintops what he wants to continue to do here at Lifeway. We, our title for our message series is called An Impossible Christmas. An Impossible Christmas. My kids just walked back in the room. Are they good? You can, okay, thank you. <laughs> hey, they're great, aren't they? I just got totally distracted. I love you. I love you. (laughs) Okay, so so, so. I'm just going to have a moment. (laughs) She just said, I love you. (sighs) Okay, I'm back. Okay, nothing is impossible with God. How many of you believe that? Our songs this morning were not coincidental. They weren't just uh, accidental put together. But nothing is impossible with God. And we want to focus on what looked like impossible, what looked improbable, what looked like couldn't happen. Jesus accomplished. Jesus didn't just accomplish it. He finished it from start to finish. Right? So our verse for this series is one of my favorites. It's Luke 1.37. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. How many of you believe that this morning? How many of you trust in that and know that his word is true? Not one promise is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. All year long, marrying our hearts to this word has been what God has been doing. That we believe in the impossible, that we trust that he has everything in his hands, that we walk it out with him. We walk out kingdom perspective. When I woke up this morning, I was battling with the enemy trying to just totally distract me. Totally just knock, knock my knees out from under me. And I'm like, no, you know what, Lord, I know, I know this word is for today, and I know who I am, and I know who you are, and that nothing is impossible with you. So this is, this is not just a cute message, this is, this is the foundation we stand on. We serve the God of the impossible. Another verse I want to read to you is, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you, Ephesians 3.20. That is one of my favorite verses, and it partners beautifully with Luke. Nothing is impossible with God. Beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine, he has in store for you. Do you believe that? Do you know that with beyond the shadow of a doubt? He has a destiny and a purpose for every single person that has a beating heart in this room this morning. Every single person. Not one promise is empty. If you received a promise from the Lord ten years ago and it hasn't happened yet, do you think he's not going to fulfill the promise? Not one of his promises comes back void. Not one of his promises comes back empty. So you stand on it. You hold on and you wait and you watch and you pray and you agree with that word and you watch him work. You agree with that promise. So when we get sidetracked and we say, you know what? I don't know if he really is going to keep it. And the enemy wants you to believe that that's not who he is. But he is a promise keeper. He is a way maker. In every scenario, in every situation, in every life circumstance, that is who he is. We're highlighting in our message series the prophecies that led to Jesus coming. This message today is called The Promise. Jesus was promised. He wasn't just promised halfway through the story, He was promised from the beginning, He was there at creation. And when the fall happened, he came, he swept in, and he, we, st- we start to hear echoes of his coming. We start to see words being spoken that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy are, is weaved in and through the entire Old Testament. So we're going to jump into some of those prophecies today. Are you Ready? Because nothing makes me more excited than to see that God keeps his word. Not that I need him to prove anything to me. But he laid it out in his book as proof that he keeps his promises. And that nothing is impossible for him. Are you ready? Buckle up. Here we go. All
1: right. Turn to or open your Bible app, Genesis chapter 3. It is... Leslie said, we're going all the way back to the beginning. So this first section of our message is called the promise from the start, from the very beginning. So Genesis chapter 3, let's let's do a little bit of background here. What is happening in Genesis 3? Well, God has created the heavens and the earth, and he created the light, and he created The the waters and the sky, the animals, the vegetation, and on the seventh or the sixth day, he created man and woman in his image, and everything was perfect inside the bounds of the Garden of Eden, outside. It wasn't. When God spoke, he said, subdue the earth, right? Right? If it was perfect outside of the garden, what would have needed to be subdued? So they had a, an assignment, and before they could even take the first step in that assignment, Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin entered the world. And God begins to address the serpent, the woman, and the man. And he starts with the serpent. And as he is cursing the serpent for what he has done, he says these words. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity, which means hatred, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's pretty powerful. Strike his heel. That phrase refers to Satan's repeated attempts to defeat Christ throughout history. You will strike his heel. He will crush your head. Crush your head refers to and foreshadows Satan's ultimate defeat when Jesus rose from the dead. There's a big difference between being struck on the heel and having your head crushed. You agree? And we know that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave and crushed the head of the enemy. Now listen, talk about redemption, right? Satan targeted the woman, Eve, How incredible it is that through a woman would come the champion of heaven that would ultimately defeat the one who deceived her in the very beginning. Isn't that pretty amazing? Ironic? This happened 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, God was already revealing his plan to restore his creation back to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but we hear 4,000 years, and it's like, oh, that's nice, 4,000 years. We're only 2,000 years from the resurrection. And think about how long ago it seems that Jesus walked the earth, and this was double the amount of time before he was born that God first prophesied his redemptive plan for humanity. And it took 4,000 years before getting there. Sometimes we struggle waiting four hours for a promise of God to be fulfilled, right? Who said that we are a microwave generation with a crockpot God? We want it now. And God is like, no, we just used a crockpot yesterday. We love our crockpot.
0: It just, it just fits too well to not say this. I love my crock pot because I can put it in and I can trust that my crock pot is going to cook it and that the flavor is going to be really good and that it's going to turn out yummy and delicious and all I have to do is put the ingredients in the pot. That's good, right? That's how God is, right? You, he gives you a promise. All you have to do is put the ingredients in which is trust, hope, belief and, 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 and he does the rest and it tastes really good.
1: If that wasn't profound, I don't know what is. Speaking of profound, how about those Buckeyes yesterday? Hey, the Browns are playing today. Nothing is impossible. The Browns are playing. A lot of you guys have Brown stuff on. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Nothing, is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Yeah. We're not talking about the Cowboys. We're not talking. We're, no. So, okay, let's see. This being fulfilled... Because the focus of this series is not only on Jesus doing the impossible, but yet we bear his image, his Holy Spirit dwells within us. So we have the opportunity to accomplish the impossible as well. I love this verse. Check this out. Okay, this is from the Passion Translation, Romans chapter 16. It's on the screens. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. And he says, so I want you to become scholars of all that is good and beautiful and stay pure and innocent when it comes to evil. Here's my favorite part. And the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet. And the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. Come on, right? (laughs) But isn't it amazing that over 4,000 years later, what was foreshadowed in Genesis when, when God said, your head will be crushed under his foot. And we see it echoed 4,000 years later in Romans that when we put our trust in Jesus and we follow him obediently, Satan and his power will be crushed. He will be pounded to a pulp under our feet. Remember that the next time you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you're powerless against certain temptation or addiction, whatever it is. Satan has already been defeated. He's powerless against the Holy Spirit in you. Trust him and pound him to a pulp with your faith. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Another promise from the start. This one a little later on in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 14 out of the Passion Translation. It's on the screen, so you can pull it up. The Lord Himself, so this is Isaiah prophesying. And he says, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will name him God among us, Emmanuel. Isaiah spoke these words 700 years before the birth of Christ. You talk about an accurate prophetic word? First off, a virgin conceiving a child, impossible. Yet 700 years before, the prophet spoke that a virgin would conceive a child and he would be named Emmanuel, God among us. It's amazing sometimes to for me at least to read some of these prophecies. There are what 50 in the over 50 prophecies in the Old Testament foretelling of Jesus. And like how how did they miss it? How how did it get so distorted and confusing when it's it's so plain to us today? when God promises something, when he establishes something by his word, it will happen. It may not happen in our time or the the, the context of when we want it to or when we think we need it to, but it will in his perfect timing. 700 years before, Isaiah prophesied these words. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God became one of us, and we see this exact prophecy spoken of in Matthew as well, coming true, Matthew one twenty three. A new nature is about to be planted in the soil of humanity. Emmanuel is a term used for this new creation life coming down from heaven. It will begin as a man, Jesus, but will soon become a company of men and women. Emmanuel is the partnership of heaven and earth, God and humanity. Perhaps not even Isaiah understood how far reaching the meaning of Emmanuel would be. Because Emmanuel didn't stop with Jesus. Through his Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. God with us, God in us. Jesus was the promise. A new, it said a new nature is about to be planted in the soil of humanity, a redeemed nature, a redeemed identity, a new identity. 700 years before it would be fulfilled, Isaiah spoke. An impossible scenario becoming possible because of the one whose mouth it flowed from, God.
0: I think that's one of my favorite descriptions of the Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, and how the term is used to describe new creation life coming down out of heaven, where heaven touches earth. How beautiful is that? That Jesus brought the kingdom here now. That when he came, he didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to bring heaven to earth, to establish heaven's kingdom here now, in us, through us. Because it says, this is, this is in the Passion Translation in the footnotes, it says that it will begin as a man, but will soon become a company of men and women. Multiply. And it, the words it uses, nature, soil, Planted. Jesus is described then in the next prophecy that we're going to read in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, as the sprout or the root or the branch. And I love that. I love how not only does God get detailed in giving like these detailed prophecies, but he also just has this beautiful, he's, he's just so creative. And so he, ha- he paints not only this, this prophecy, but this beautiful picture of who we are in Christ before he even came, who we can be connected to, and what power we have in us because of who he is. Jesus came, the promise rooted, it was rooted in and through him. He came out of the tribe, of, out of Israel. He came out of what looked like defeat. Travis is going to tell you more about that in a minute. But I, what I love about these prophecies is there are such details that Jesus met every single one. The promise rooted there are very specific things about the prophecies regarding Jesus that he had to fulfill. And I, and I wrote this down so that I wouldn't say it any other way. One of them was that he was going to be called a Nazarene. Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere. And God didn't just put him on the planet somewhere and then he just started walking around doing miracles. He came from a line, a family lineage. He came from roots. He came with purpose, right? Right? It wasn't an accident. God had weaved his story in and through creation from the start. And I love that. I'll get into this in a second, but Jesus didn't just appear. He came from a lineage, a rooted family line, promises fulfilled. We are a part of this prophetic word and deeply rooted in the fulfillment. You are part of the fulfillment of the prophecy. You are part of the promise, right? I mean, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know. It just makes me excited. Like, I was talked about. Jesus had me in his mind. God had us on his mind at the beginning. And when he came, we got connected not to a weak God, but to a strong God, like an oak. Okay? So let's look at Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. And we're going to just start with verse 1, and then I'm going to have Travis come and give you a little bit of history. The branch of the Lord is the title of the section the cutoff stump of Jesse will sprout and a fruitful branch will grow from his roots. We were reading this passage and I said, well, what's the cutoff stump of Jesse mean? What does that mean? So I made Travis do some digging.
1: <laughs> so, by the way, let me say this. Um, as intentional as God was in The planning of his son, the prophecies that were spoken, he is just as intentional in his purposes for every single one of you. You're not any less. Don't forget that. You're not an accident. Just as he established his son to be born, he established you to be born, and he gave you a purpose, and he has a plan for your life, just as he did for his son. So, the cut-off stump of Jesse will sprout. Cut-off stump. What does that mean? So, around 721 B.C., the nation of Israel was on Santa's naughty list. They were a rebellious nation, and God would use other countries surrounding nations as an instrument of his discipline. And so in 721, the Assyrians um, came against the nation of Israel, and they took all of the northern kingdom of Israel captive. In 701 BC, the Assyrian invasion of Judah took place. So the nation of the people of God had become enslaved and captives to the Assyrians because of Israel's decision to rebel against God so in God's wisdom he used Assyria to bring discipline to his people in the promise that had been given the, the basically the tree was cut off at the stump in Israel And Judah fell captive to the Assyrians. Well, then the Assyrians fell to the Babylonians, and on and on and on. And eventually, right, the the nation of Israel became under Roman rule. Because when Jesus was born, many thought he was going to come and establish a new earthly government and kingdom and set them free from Roman captivity. But we know that wasn't an earthly kingdom, wasn't the plan, a heavenly kingdom was the plan. And so this stump then had been cut off, and Israel, it said a remnant would remain faithful. Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, would never fall to the Assyrians or to the Babylonians, but they stayed steadfast in their faith, and they were faithful. And God would use a very, very small portion of people, a remnant, to bring about the promise of Jesus coming that out of the stump of Jesse's tree would grow a shoot.
0: What I love about that is that it shows God's heart and his nature. He's merciful. Right? That he didn't leave his people hanging. That even though the discipline happened, he had a plan. And out of that family lineage, he brought out salvation for all people. See, they thought it was just for them, but God said, no, all of my creation is going to fall under this promise. All of my people, all of the people that I have created are going to be redeemed through this sprout. Let's keep reading in Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to be on verse well, I'll just start at the beginning. The cutoff stump of Jesse will sprout, and a fruitful branch will grow from his roots. The spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him, the spirit of extraordinary wisdom, the spirit of perfect understanding, the spirit of wise strategy, the spirit of mighty power, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of the fear of Yahweh. He will find his delight in living by the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He will neither judge by appearances nor make his decisions based on rumors. With righteousness, he will uphold justice for the poor and defend the lowly of the earth his words will be like a scepter of power and that conquers the world and with his breath he will slay the lawless one righteousness will be his warrior's sash and faithfulness his belt this is a prophetic word about who Jesus was going to be his character do you do you think he lived up to that Now, who are you in him? What do you possess? I think that is just such a powerful thing. If I am rooted in Christ, if I am a part of that branch, if I am his branch and I'm rooted in him, I possess extraordinary wisdom. I possess perfect understanding, wise strategy, mighty power. Those are mine to hold onto through my Savior who gave everything to die for me. So when I'm struggling with something, I can say, God, I know. Wisdom. I need your wisdom. Instead of freaking out, instead of panicking, instead of trying to figure it out, I can go to the God who's provided every source of life to me and ask him for help. He wants us to. He wants us to ask. He wants us to be plugged in. He wants us to be rooted in him. And I think this is so cool. So we call Jesus a Nazarene. The word Nazarene is, the the root word is netzer. And netzer means branch or twig. So from the base of his lineage, he was a netzer, a Nazarene from Nazareth, a branch or a twig, a sprout or a root. Come on, doesn't that get you excited? That that God is weaving this beautiful story of who he is, in every finite detail, Jesus met every single jot, every single, I don't know what jot and tittle mean, but we're going to say it, jot and tittle, he met every single part, every single word, Christ is both the root and the offspring of David, This means that the branch that grows from the roots points to the body of Christ, his church on earth. Christ in us is the vine, and we are his fruitful branches. Jesus Christ branches out through his people and grows from his root. Overcomers are the branches that bring forth fruit of Christ's life. This sprout will grow to become the rod of God's power. That is who you are. That is who you are. You are partnered with our Father from the beginning. When you are rooted in Christ, you are the branch. You are the fruit. You are part of his plan. I just can't. He's so intentional. Another reference to the prophetic fulfillment of Jesus being our source of life and strength. He fulfilled every word is in Isaiah 61. Let's jump over there. Isaiah 61. This is the last one we're going to dig into today. Jesus was, every part of his life, every part of his coming to earth as a man was intentional. Every part of your life, like Travis said, every, your birth, your, your name, your destiny is intentional. He created you. He designed you with brown hair and brown eyes. He designed you with spiky gray hair and blue eyes and a mustache. He designed you with your physical attributes, and he designed you with the gifts that he's put inside of you. And he's very intentional about his decisions. Not just his son, who he intentionally sent to save you, but who he created you to be. Come on. Very intentional. And when we root ourselves in him, wow, 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 wow. Messiah's mission the mighty spirit of the Lord, Yahweh, is wrapped around me. This is, this is the prophetic word of Jesus. And Jesus speaks these words again in the New Testament. And it is so powerful. The mighty spirit of the Lord Yahweh is wrapped around me because Yahweh has anointed me as a messenger to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the wounds of the brokenhearted, to tell the captives you are free, and to tell prisoners to be free from your darkness. I am sent to announce a new season of Yahweh's grace and a time of God's recompense on his enemies, to comfort all who are in sorrow, to strengthen those crushed by despair who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful banquet in the place of ashes, the oil of bliss instead of tears, the mantle of joyous praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. Because of this, they will be known as mighty oaks of righteousness, planted by Yahweh as a living display of his glory. They will restore ruins from long ago and rebuild what was long devastated. They will renew ruined cities and desolations of past generations. That is who you are. When you are rooted and grounded in Christ, you are considered a mighty oak, a Palestine oak that was strong enough to attach it as an, uh, what's that thing called when you put it on an oxen? And it, that thing, what is it? A yoke. Yeah, the yoke. And that wood is strong. These big trees that live for 850 years, that is who you are described as when you are rooted and grounded in Christ, mighty oaks of righteousness. And this is what we are called to accomplish, restore ruins from long ago. Come on, what are we doing in this valley? We are rooted and we are planted and we are here to change the landscape. We are here to be the mighty oaks of righteousness. Not just be good Christians that check off the box every Sunday, but make a difference in this county. Change the landscape. Change the look of the ground. Strengthen courage. Spread the gospel. Because with every step we take, that is the opportunity we have. Oaks of righteousness points to a godly, spiritual, mature people who will know the righteousness of God and walk in it. Jesus, the tree of life, multiplies himself in us, so we become trees of righteousness. A tree becomes a forest, amen? I love the analogy that's weaved in his story. Every part he fulfilled, and if every part he fulfilled, and we're included in that, then what do we get to do? What do we get to do? What do we get to be rooted and grounded in? We get to be free. Jesus said, I come to heal the brokenhearted. I come to set the captive free. It's time for a new season. So if you're here this morning, it is time for a new season to partner with and to be rooted in Jesus. The the one that was planned from the beginning to redeem us and to save us. To give us freedom and wholeness. To heal every need. He fulfilled everything. We are the branch. Someone who is rooted has strength. Someone who is rooted has stability. Someone who is rooted has courage. Someone who is rooted has a life source. Someone who is rooted has power. Someone who is rooted has Jesus. (laughs) And just in case that wasn't proof enough, well, the verse that the Lord just like So we read Ephesians 3.20, and Ephesians 3.20 is whatever you ask, think, or imagine, he can do, right? But if you jump back two scriptures and you do Ephesians, or a few, I'm really bad at math. Ephesians 3.17, he says, Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life, Never doubt God's mighty power to do anything you ask, think, or imagine. That is who he is. You are rooted in him. When you take everything you have, every burden, every need, every concern, your dreams, your excitements, your family, what he has given to you, and you give it to him, watch him do the impossible. Watch him work. And, and I, I want to read something to you that God gave this to me last night through a friend, and it was so, so stinking cool. So we're talking about the prophecies, right? And this is the case, the case, oh my goodness, this is the case for Christ. How many of you have seen the movie or read the book or heard of it? Okay, such a good book. Get it. If you want to know deeply who he is, this is so powerful. So I'm going to read to you two sections out of here. Are you ready? story time okay this section is called the intentional fulfillment argument some skeptics have asserted that Jesus merely maneuvered his life in a way to fulfill the prophecies couldn't he have read Zechariah the, that the Messiah would ride on a donkey in, into Jerusalem and then arranged to do exactly that I asked Lapidus made a small concession for a few of the prophecies yes that's certainly conceivable he said, but there are many others for which this just wouldn't have been possible. For instance, how would he control the fact that the Sanhedrin offered Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray him? How could he arrange for his ancestry or the place of his birth or his method of execution or that the soldiers gambled for his clothes or that his legs would remain unbroken? How would he arrange to perform a miracles in front of skeptics? How would he arrange for his resurrection? and how would he arrange to be born when he was? That last comment piqued my curiosity. What do you mean by when he was born, I asked? When you interpret Daniel 9, 24 through 26, it foretells that the Messiah would appear a certain length of time after King Artaxerxes. I, it, Artaxerxes issued a decree for the Jewish people to go from Persia to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, Lapidese replied. He leaned forward to deliver the the clincher. That puts the anticipated appearance of the Messiah at the exact moment in history when Jesus showed up. He said, certainly, that's nothing he could have prearranged. Come on. Nothing is a coincidence in the Father. And I'm going to read you one more thing, Okay. And I just, oh, this is so good. So the coincidence argument. First I asked Lapidus whether it's possible that Jesus merely fulfilled the prophecies by accident. Maybe he's just one of many throughout history who have coincidentally fit the prophetic fingerprint. Not a chance, came his response. The odds are so astronomical that they rule that out. Someone did the math and figured out that the probability of just 8 prophecies being fulfilled in one chance in 100 is a ch- one chance in 100 million billion. That number is millions of times greater than the total number of people who ever walked the planet. Just 8 prophecies. He calculated that if you took this number of silver dollars, they would cover the state of Texas to a depth of two feet. If you marked one silver dollar among them and then had a blindfolded person wander the whole state and bend down to pick up one coin, what would be the odds he'd choose the one that had been marked? With that, he answered his own question. The same odds that anybody in history could have fulfilled just eight of the prophecies. I had studied this same statistical analysis by mathematician Peter W. Stoner when I was investigating the messianic prophecies for myself. Stoner also computed that the probability of fulfilling 48 prophecies was one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. I think I said them all. Our minds can't comprehend a number that big. This is a staggering statistic that equals the number of minuscule atoms in a trillion 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 billion universe the size of our universe the odds alone say it would be impossible for anyone to fulfill the old testament prophecies Lapidus included yet jesus and only jesus throughout all of history managed to do it The words of the Apostle Peter popped into my head, but the things which God announced before by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Acts 3.18. That's good. fulfilled it all. And if you listen to that in my fast reading and you caught that it would take so... it's, It's like Santa Claus on Christmas Day delivering presents to all the kids. It's statistically impossible for him to do it. Okay? Jesus did it. He is not some make-believe figure. He's not some Christmas character. He is the son of God who was planted for us on the cross so that we can embody his roots, so that we can walk in his freedom, and so that we can move in his power. And today we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Jesus, the prophecies about him bring hope oh my goodness, so much hope. And it just happens to be that hope is the candle for the Advent wreath today. And if you hear a prophetic word, what does it do for your spirit when someone speaks a prophetic word over you, when the Lord speaks to you and he gives you a word? It gives you so much hope. He is our hope. He fulfilled every part. He is not, there's nothing about him that isn't perfect, right? Right? So today we're going to light the Advent wreath, and Pastor, would you come? I don't, fit I just, this is what you do. And we're going to light the first candle, and the first candle is hope. And you know what this candle symbolizes? i got to get my notes, just make sure I say it right. This is the prophecy candle. We didn't know that until after we had the message prepared. Like, you know that hope, but that the underlying message in that, and I'm sure you've spoken that so many times, and I just didn't remember, but hope is the prophecy candle. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, and he is our hope. He is our everlasting hope. He never changes. During worship this morning, I felt this, you don't change, you don't change, you never change. He never changes. So if he never changes, then what he promises to you is true. Will you stand? The prophecy candles in remembrance of the prophets, especially Isaiah, who foretold the birth of Christ, it represents the expectation felt in anticipation of the coming Messiah. We get to celebrate Christmas for real. For us, it is so much more than just a beautiful tree and presents. It is so much more than just tradition. Jesus came, and it's, it should feed this excitement inside of you to go tell someone else who you're rooted in, to go tell someone else the hope that they have. He is Emmanuel, God with us now. And every promise he fulfilled and is still fulfilling. And you are part of that fulfillment. You are part of that fulfillment.